0: Hey everyone and welcome to Murder and Mysteries with Megan. If you are new here, welcome and if you're not new here, welcome back. I'm grateful for each and every one of you that are here today. Here we talk about true crime, conspiracies, hauntings, and other types of mysteries. So if that's something you're interested in, I would love it if you would hit that subscribe button here on YouTube or hit my follow on my podcast on Spotify or other platforms. Today is a very special cooking and crime collaboration between myself, Pixel Gamer Girls, and Vault Girl 145. Here on my channel, we will be talking about the Axeman of New Orleans and how he sent a letter to the citizens of the area telling them that if they played jazz music one specific evening that they would survive. Everyone did as they were told and no one dared disobey. So on my channel, we'll be talking about that today. Well, over on their channels, they will be making a couple different recipes for us. So let's hear from them. Hey, it's Heather from Pixel Gamer Girls and our bread pudding collab this month for Murder and Dinner is a very special collab between myself, Bulk Girl 145, and of course, Megan Murder and Mysteries. So want to see how I made this beautiful stuff? Come check out all the videos. Hello and welcome to my kitchen. My name is Girl and I'd like to say a big thank you to you, Megan and Heather for inviting me along on this collaboration. If you guys would like to see more on how I made this jambalaya, be sure to come over and check out my channel. Until then, sit back and enjoy the show. Oh, those both look so good. I can't wait to make the recipes and try them myself. If you too would like the full recipe and instructions, make sure to check my description below. Okay, so before we heard from the girls, we actually were talking about the accident of New Orleans and a letter that he had sent in for publication to the residents. Let's start there. Marked Hottest hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, they have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman, but I see fit I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they've been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am. For it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think that there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the Angel of Death. Now to be exact, at 1215 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time that I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you people who do not jazz it out on Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time that I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee, I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axe Man. So that very next Tuesday night. The entirety of New Orleans was in full swing, with jazz music blasting through the town. Bars and clubs were at capacity, and even people that had stayed home that evening were playing jazz music inside. So why was the entire town so terrified of this axe man that they listened and did as they were told? Well, it all started about a year before the letter, back on May 23rd of 1918. It started with Joseph and Catherine Maggio when they were brutally murdered inside of their home as they were sleeping that evening. Now I do want to mention that both of them were of Italian descent and also they were grocers. Now this information is important simply because it helps us determine a pattern for this killer. That evening while they were lying in bed the perpetrator that would later be dubbed the Man of New Orleans broke into their home on the corner of Upper Line and Magnolia Street and took their lives. At first it appeared that the couple had actually been hit over the head with an axe and that was the cause of death. However, upon further investigation, they found that the cause of death was actually a razor knife, a straight blade, that had been used to cut their throats. After the attack actually happened, Joseph Maggio's brothers, Andrew and Jake, actually appeared at the scene. When they got there, Joseph was still barely clinging on to life. However, their sister-in-law, Catherine, had already lost her fight. Unfortunately, even though Joseph was still alive when his brothers arrived, it was only moments later before he too lost his battle and passed away. There were a few really strange things that stood out to police during their investigation. Well, number one, there was nothing that was missing from the home. Then why were they killed with a razor knife and then an axe taken to them afterwards? Was someone trying to hide the true murder weapon? Also, it appeared that the murder weapon that was used... It was actually Joseph's brother, Andrew. It was his razor knife. It was found on the neighbor's lawn. Another thing, nothing was taken. It wasn't a robbery. So the person that took their lives... That was their sole purpose, in entering the Maggio's home that evening. Of course, the fact that the razor belonged to Andrew, police started looking immediately at him, as the primary suspect. But without any real evidence or proof to go on, Andrew was released. See, Andrew's story went like this. He had gone out earlier that evening. He had just found out that he was joining the Navy and would be shipped out. And so he had gone out drinking, with some of his friends that night to celebrate. When he came back home, he had heard the groanings of his brother and his sister-in-law next door. When he arrived on the scene, he said that he found them just as they were. He stated that he hadn't called the police for a couple of hours because he must have passed out. And that's all he really remembers from that night. Without anywhere else to really go or more evidence, things kind of came to a standstill a little bit on the case. Then. The next attack would happen on the early morning hours of June 27th of 1918, a little over a month after the attack and murder of Joseph and Catherine. This time it was to another immigrant Italian grocer and his mistress. The grocer's name was Louis Bessemer and his mistress was Harriet Lowe. Now, not everyone knew that it was his mistress to begin with, in fact he even made claims that it was his wife. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. This time the attack took place on D'Orgenois and the Harp Street. They were asleep in the back of the grocery store in what had become Louis's living quarters. It wasn't until the next morning that John Zonka had actually arrived. He was the bakery delivery driver. He delivered every day to the grocery store. He thought it was strange the Bessemer didn't have the lights on, didn't have the doors open and wasn't there to meet him when he came for his delivery, much like he was every other morning. Growing concerned, he decided to go inside and check on Louis Bessemer. That's when he found both Louis and Harriet lying in a pool of their own blood around 7 a.m. that morning. It turns out that Louis had been struck above the right temple and Harriet had suffered one to the left. Amazingly, the two of them actually survived the attack. But there were some strange things with this one, too. The murder weapon was Louis Bessemer's own axe. He was left at the scene of the crime in the bathroom. But Bessemer, he'd been attacked, too. He told the police that he had been asleep when he was attacked. And then Harriet said that she remembered a man who was of European and African-American descent standing there before she also was struck. Immediately, even though their stories contradicted each other, there was an arrest made. The man who was arrested was Louis Obacon. He was an African-American male who had actually worked for Louis Bessemer in the grocery store only a couple weeks before the attack happened. But of course there was no evidence to link him to the crime other than the fact that he had worked for Bessemer at one point in time. So without any real evidence or proof, he was released. When Lewis actually couldn't be to blame, media and everyone was looking for someone to blame. After all, this was the second set of attacks that had happened and no one was to take the blame yet. Well, they came up with a story that Lewis Bessemer was a German spy. Why did they think this? Well, of course, no one trusted him initially because he said that his mistress was his wife and everyone found out that it was really his mistress when his wife came to town after her husband had been struck, not to mention that they found letters that he owned and had written in different languages. You had German, Russian, and Yiddish that they found in the letters. Well, letters and an affair doesn't necessarily mean spy, right? Well, Harriet Lowe then told police officers that she too thought that he may indeed be a German spy. Well, believe it or not, he was actually arrested and served two days in jail before they had to release him, despite the lies that Harriet had told and all the drama that surrounded it and even getting him locked up. Harriet was already, within a couple of weeks after the attack, staying back with Louis Bessemer at his house. But even after this and the back and forth and the affair that was going on, it seems like Harriet Lowe wanted to blame Louis Bessemer once more. See, she had become paralyzed on part of her face when she was struck during the attack. She had gone in for surgery to try to fix this, and there were complications. As she was lying on her deathbed, she actually told investigators that the person responsible for the attacks, and who tried to take her life, was Louis Bessemer. Again, despite all of her other lies, police officers took her word and arrested Lewis Bessemer. This time he actually spent nine months in jail before things went before a jury. And in 10 minutes they decided he was not guilty and he was acquitted. So here we are at this point, there have been two attacks, two different couples, two murdered and two survived, one dying from complications from surgery after the attack. There were other things that were in common as well. From the fact that they were grocers and they all seemingly were of Italian descent. And the person came in and took their lives while they were sleeping. Yet police officers and investigators still didn't quite put together that this could be the work of one person. At least not until the next victim, Anna Schneider. On the evening of August 5th, 1918, Anna Schneider, who was eight months pregnant at the time, lay down to rest until her husband, Ed, came home from work. As she lay there sleeping and resting, she was awoken to see a large lurking figure above her before she was knocked out. It wasn't until after midnight that Ed Schneider actually returned home from work, and when he did, I can only imagine the horror that he felt when he arrived and saw his wife lying there on the bed with a cut on her scalp and blood dripping down her face, pregnant with their child, wondering if they were going to survive. Immediately, he called and got her to the hospital. Despite her wounds, two days later she gave birth to a very healthy baby girl, and she survived. However, much like the other victims, she couldn't remember or give many details about her attacker. During the investigation, it appeared that there was no signs of forced entry. Nothing, yet again, had been taken from the scene to indicate that it was a robbery. And they determined that the lamp on a nearby table was actually used as the murder weapon this time. Despite not having really much evidence to go on, because remember, the technology just wasn't the same back then. It's not like they could take fingerprints off of the lamp and get some of the DNA and things like that to test and find out who was the culprit. So they really didn't have much, but they made an arrest again anyways. This time it was James Gleason. Much like the other times, the arrest of James Gleason didn't stick and he was released. This is when investigators finally started to admit to the public and to the media that this may indeed be the work of one person. That they could very well be also related to the Maggio and Bessemer attacks. Because yet again, there were so many similarities just like there had been in the first two attacks. It wasn't long until there was another attack. In fact, it was only five days after the attack on Anna Schneider.